Check, check. Yeah, it's good. Okay. As she's getting that uh, handout to you, what we're doing is we're going to continue our series of who we are. We're figuring out who we are as a class. We're building for tomorrow. That's kind of the agreed upon theme that we came up with as a class. And we're talking about who, uh, how can we build for tomorrow? What does that mean? The upperclassmen uh, spoke to you uh, maybe a couple months ago or so about what they hope or what they expect this class to be or to look like or what we hope to, to do with this time over the next year, school year in particular. And we came up with Build for Tomorrow. Well, if we're going to build for tomorrow, if we're going to do anything, if we're going to get anything done, if we're going to accomplish something, we've got to figure out who we are. And there's many of you in this room that you've been here since you were a tiny little kid. And then there's some of you who you haven't been here since you were a tiny kid. And maybe you have been here since you were a tiny kid, and you still don't know who this group is. What is this group about? Maybe you know it's a church youth group. Hello. Maybe you know this is like a place where they teach the Bible, or where maybe you, maybe you even sense at some level that these, this is a place where people care about you. But what we want to do is, thank you, Jada, we want to figure out exactly who it is we are as a group so that we can move forward together in collaboration, just trusting God to, to use us, to build the kingdom, to build for tomorrow. We're going to take some time over the next however many weeks it takes uh, to work through our identity. And I wanted to start with just a quick illustration to kind of paint the picture of what this youth group can look like. So when I was in high school, I was on the swim team. How many of you are on the swim team? Any swimmers? Yeah, yeah swim team. Okay, so on, on my swim team, we had a very clear identity. We all had clear roles. That Some were spoken, some were unspoken. But we on the team knew the dynamic we had on, uh, on the team with each other, and, and we had success. It was a successful swim team in many ways, like both like winning, but also um, some other things that came along with that. And I just want to kind of lay this out and name some names, kind of talk about their roles. So there's a few different strokes that you swim on the swim team, right? Who knows the strokes except for me and Kennedy? Who knows what's and doggy style. backstroke? Doggy style is not one. No, it's freestyle. Butterfly, breaststroke, backstroke. That's the breaststroke. That's a whole different thing. That was not the swim team, Mitch. That was something else. If you didn't catch it, praise the Lord. Okay, if you didn't. Okay, so anyways. But there's also different distances on the swim team, okay? So there's like sprinters and then there's long distance. You can think like a track team. It's very similar. So on the swim team, there were sprinters. There were guys named Taylor and another guy named Jeff, Jeff Slotzauer, that I've talked about within the last five years or so because he came to Christ and we connected after a decade of not talking at all. And, and the last time, you know, before he reached out again that we talked, it was very leave me alone with that gospel message. And then... You know, time plus God equals uh, capturing your heart, right? And so that's what happened. So anyways, Taylor and Jeff were sprinters. They were the guys who we depended upon most to go score points and to go swim really, really fast, faster than the very vast majority of of other people in high school uh, at the time. Then there was the breaststrokers. There was a guy named Tony. And a guy named Thomas, they both were, they specialized in breaststroke. 
There's the backstrokers, same as the sprinters, Taylor and Jeff, they swam backstroke mostly. There's um, the fly, butterfly stroke. That's the hard one. That's the one where you like do both arms at the same time. Michael Phelps, and you like flop like a dolphin, right? That's really hard. And, and Jeff and Thomas were primarily, and Tony were the guys that swam that, and that was their strength on our team. I never had to do any of those things, right? I did the distance events. So me and Heath, uh, we would do uh, the distance events mostly. And then there was, uh, there was 20 other guys that were on our team. And they all plugged in and filled in. But those guys who I named were the guys that were the upperclassmen. They were the captains. They were the leaders of the group. And, and the younger guys looked up to us to lead in the meets, in the culture, in the practice, in all things swim team, they, they were looking to us. Much like, hey, much like the freshmen and sophomores should look at the upperclassmen in this room. Hopefully you're looking at the upperclassmen and you're like, that's what it's going to be to be in this group. That's where we're going. That's what it looks like, Right? Some other rules that we had was at practice, <clears throat> I liked to practice much more than I liked competing because I found that practicing was my strength. I, would, I, would, I loved to just work really, really hard and then, and then I could outswim everybody at practice and then you get to the meet and, it was, and I did okay but I just, I only had one or two events that I really thrived at whereas the other guys, they didn't practice it seemed like as hard as me but they had all these different events, they were just really good at them, they could do all different strokes and things like that. But we had this dynamic, and we had some goals. Can I tell you the goals we had? These are actual goals that we talked about as a team. We wanted to push as hard as possible every day at practice. We talked about this. We're not leaving anything behind. We're not skipping practice. We're not skipping one practice. None. The only time my senior year I ever skipped practice was because my coach said something like, you need to get some rest. You need to stop. Like, hey, there was one time I was go showed up for summer training, and I, like, ran that day, and then I rode my bike to the pool, and then I had practice, and then I rode my bike back, and then I, like, got sick, and my coach was like, Jeff, that's um, stupid. <laughs> what are you doing, bro? Like, quit it. I just had this, this thing in my head where I'm going to go as hard as I possibly can, right? Even to the detriment of success. But that was kind of the goal. We're not going to waver at this. If we're going to do it, let's do it right. Let's go, right? So that was our goal. We're not going to miss practices. We were going to go undefeated in the regular season. We wanted to not lose a single meet against any other schools. And we wanted to get our coach, Coach Jim Azure, his 400th win, which we got. We wanted him to have his 400th win in high school swimming, uh, his career. We wanted to win conference every year. That was a big deal to us. And then my senior year, we wanted to place top three at state. Those were our goals that we talked about before the, before the season even started. We said, this is what we're going to do. And then we were just kind of fleshling carnally, like, let's freaking go do it. Right? It was a work completely in the flesh. Let me just clarify. But it was something that we were determined to accomplish. And here are the results. There are many individual and team relay all-state accomplishments. We were top six as a, as a team at state. But there was camaraderie that was very tight on our team. Those were my guys. 
There was nobody else in the entire school. There was no one in my church. There was nobody else who had my heart and had my back like those guys did. And we perceived what we did every day at school and at practice as we were going to battle. I mean, it wasn't battle. It wasn't war. But in our minds, like, I would die for you, bro. You know? We're in this together. It was a tight camaraderie. We had more fun than I can even remember. There were team dinners. There was a lot of hanging out before practices and on the weekends. There were practices and meets where we played and we had uh, good fellowship. There were long conversations at the lake house that our coach would take us to. And we would, we would stay up late talking about life and talking about uh, swimming and different things. There were life lessons. I learned humility and I learned compassion and I learned hard work from swimming. I gained lifelong friendships. The only person from high school that I know and that I ever keep in touch with besides Kylie is my friend Cameron Moore who I swam with. And I had an identity in the midst of our entire school. We all knew that we were swimmers, and we were swimmers first. And we hated the football team. And they sucked, but so we had that going for us. But we talked so much trash about the football team. I mean, it was awful. We were terrible people. And we would, we would on our way to practice, we'd be driving to practice, and we would drive by the soccer field where the soccer players were practicing, and every day we would just scream out the window, terrible things at them we were tight and we were it was us against the world and there's some advantages and disadvantages to that kind of mentality but in this class this high school ministry we're similar in that there's 30 or so of us in the midst of thousands and thousands and thousands of other high schoolers in our city just us 30. They're not here. This is your team. Look around. Literally. Look around and see the faces of the people that this is who God gave you for your team. You, maybe you chose to be here. Maybe you didn't. Maybe your mom or dad chose you to be here. But this is your team. And you're not all going to be best friends. But this is, this is it. This is what it can be. We can have each other's backs. We can have each other's hearts. We can have goals and objectives and a mission before us. That by the end of it, do you know how depressed I was after my senior year swim season? I was like really bummed because I knew that that was the end of what really like formed my identity through high school. I was pretty bummed. And I think that's a big reason why I thought I should go swim in college. Because I need, like, I have my network, my community, and now as I go to this next phase of life, I guess I'll just do the same thing. And it, guess what? It didn't work. Failed. I didn't connect with anybody on that team. And then I was alone out in St. Louis, right? I'm like, screw this. <laughs> Failing all my classes, not doing well. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. So I went home. And guess what? I found that new team. I found my new team. I had a team captain named Brian Busto say, hey, come join the team. Let me invest in you. Let me take you under my wing and teach you the Bible and teach you life and get you into the mission. So I'm singing on the praise team. And then, and then the rest, I think, is kind of history. Where I get plugged into the church here and then the youth team. And then I have my friends here. And these are my best friends. Literally, 
this, I don't know how realistic this seems to you, but the people, the adults in this room are my best friends. There's no one else. There's nobody else that I would rather hang out with, share life and raising my children with. There's nobody else that I prefer. And I feel very secure in that. I feel so happy. I feel like blessed by that. And you and we can have a similar dynamic. Does that make sense? So who are we? What are we going to do? I'm going to blast through this because I want you guys to talk about it. In 15 minutes, I'm going to fly through some verses. Uh, what I put up is, uh, yeah, that was the memory verse. Who's running there? You running there? We're going to skip over the memory verse today for sake of time. This is kind of what we're going to cover over the next however many weeks. Uh, where we're at right now is, is here. So we talked about prayer the last time that we talked. Is this in the way? The stand? Is it in the way? Yes? Can somebody move the stand? If you just have it on paper. Oh, wait. What? Thanks, Chris. Is, it, is this better? Yeah. So we're, we're going to camp out on... These stands in this room are ridiculous. We're going to pay 200 bucks for some stands. Yeah. So we talked about prayer. We're going to talk about sowing seeds of God's Word. And then the rest of those things are things that we're going to cover that identify who we are and give us our purpose and give us our mission and give us invitation for each of you to join in, to go after it, to be part of something that's bigger than yourself, to be part of something... This is, you know, you'll hear people say, like, I wish I had this when I was a teen. It's because this is bigger than my swim team experience. This is bigger and more meaningful. This has more eternal impact, not only on other people around me, but this has more impact on my soul and on my growth and on my relationship with God, with God and on my fulfillment in life. This is bigger and better. So here's what we're inviting you to. We're inviting you to do what we do, and that is to pray and to sow the seeds of God's Word. And as we talk about what it looks like sowing seeds of God's Word, I want to talk about just a few of my favorite verses regarding God's Word. And the first one is in Isaiah 55. I didn't put the verses on there because I want you to look them up. So if you have your Bible, flip there, Isaiah. It's near the middle, a little after the middle. If you have your phone, you can scroll there or whatever. But I kind of want to do a little bit of work in the Word here. With you, and in Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 12, is where we're going to read. You pull that up on your Bible there. It says this This is God saying, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is built different. Right? He's not built, but you know what I mean. God is different. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands." 
God sends His Word just as He sends rain, and it produces something. It does something. That Bible in your hand on your lap is not just an old, crusty, dusty book that your mom gave to you. That Bible is a book that's alive, bro. It's alive. And when God sends His Word into your heart, it produces life. It's not just something I'm talking about because I'm bored and we don't have anything else to do on a Sunday morning. This Word changes lives. And you have to believe that. Because if you believe it, and you just, if you just grasp it, you grab onto it, you receive that, you take it, and you say, this Bible will change my life, and if it can change my life, it'll change others' lives. And if I can be used by God to change other people's lives with His Word, I have significance on this planet. I have significance in my school. There's a reason why I go to that grimy, lame place, right? Mitch is right. You don't like to go to school because school's lame. Except it's not if, if you have a purpose for going there. Right. That purpose is the Word. And it's different. It's different from our thoughts, from our feelings. God's Word produces life in a heart. Now, some people are used to deliver the Word. Some are used to water the Word. But God gives the increase. He gives the fruit. He gives the life. So we sow the the seed of God's Word. You preach the Gospel to someone, and another person comes up and they water that seed that you sowed. And at the end of the day, God is the one that gives increase. Does that make sense? Another verse that stands out about God's Word is Jeremiah 23, verses 29-32. through These verses... Describe God's word this way. He says, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? It's not just some silly little lame like storytell book. It's a fire. It's a hammer. You know the, the word is a, a sword. Right? He says, notice the difference between his word and what other people say. He says, Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, He saith. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. God's saying, I'm against the person who says, this is what God thinks, or this is what God wants, or this is what God feels, when it's not from the book, when it's not from God Himself. He says, I oppose that. My word is different. It's a fire. It's a hammer. Those words are opinion. And they're lame. And they just, they just scratch the itching ears. They just kind of like make you feel good. You can listen on YouTube or on TikTok or on Instagram. You can listen to all kinds of people saying all kinds of stuff that sounds good. And if it's not God's word, it's actually not good. I'm not saying you can't listen to it. You can listen to all the motivational speakers you want. Whatever. But that's just the same as if you're watching, you know, like the memes and the silly videos. 
it's the same. It's all just kind of like levity. It's lightness. Right? God's Word is powerful and distinguished. God's Word is powerful and distinguished. I think your blank is distinguished, right? Distinguished means it's set apart. It's different. It's unique. It's important. It's special. It's not the words of man. And so we got to stay close to God in His book, not adding or twisting what He says. And we can trust that God said what He means and means what He says in the Bible. You'll hear, you'll hear a phrase like that often as you go you know, through high school and into Kaya. That's where we hope you all go to. There's a lot of life and growth that happens there. And you go through that and then you plug into LFBI and, and you start waking up and you'll hear things like, God means what He says and He says what He means. The book is the authority, the final authority for our lives. Because His Word is different. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19-21, to 21, or some, some more verses here, says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto where you do well, that you take heed, or that you listen to, that you pay attention to, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God's words, His thoughts are higher. They're different. They're important. God's word is like a fire, like a hammer. They're powerful and distinguished. But God's word was God breathed, was God sent to a man, and He just spoke what God told Him, and then that ended up getting written down. That is unique. But, but it's sure. God's Word is safe and trustworthy. The Bible is a book that you can believe and you can put your entire life on. That whatever this book says, I'll obey and trust. Even if it doesn't make sense to my mind or my heart, I'm going to believe that book over anything. Because it's sure. And it's a more sure word then even when Jesus appeared on a mountain to his boys and he was doing all kinds of crazy stuff, they're like, we have a more sure word. It's more secure than even an experience with God. We trust the book. What we preach and what we invest into the lives of others can only be the word of God, not our wisdom or ideas or our experiences or what we think makes sense or our opinions. Those things don't matter. I think you might be hearing one thing that the Bible is important and that we got to, we have, it's so important we have to take it, but it's so important you have to give that to other people. But it starts with you got to take it. And some of you know the word is powerful and you know it's life giving. Some of you don't know that yet. Some of you aren't born again. Some of you, that word hasn't produced life in you, in you yet. Does that make sense? And that's all I want you to hear is that you need to receive God's Word. Jesus is the Word. You need to receive Jesus. You need to receive life from God that He offers you this morning. Last section here. 
Romans 10, verses 13 to 15, and then verse 17 as well. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are you going to call on somebody you haven't believed on yet? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? How are you going to believe in somebody you've never heard of? Right? He's just walking us through some simple logic here. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So then faith, this is verse 17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the... Bro, your friends and your family need to hear the word of God. Or, or they're going to... Listen, I was thinking about this... Uh, I don't know why. There's, I think it may have been because, uh, you know, one of our friend's brothers passed away. And I think death is maybe just kind of a thought that's, you know, the church is, I think, grieving a little bit, some of that. But I was thinking about, you know, the worst part about hell. The worst part about hell is not that you're going to be, like, the Bible describes it as, like, torment. Like eternal lake of fire. Whether you can swim or not. A lake of fire that goes on for eternity will always only be miserable and painful. That's not the worst part about hell. The worst part about hell is that you won't have a relationship with God the Father. That you won't have a loving relationship with the Lord. That will be the worst part. Because right now, everyone, you you know, until you get saved, everyone has a hole in their heart. This is like out of a Hallmark movie, the statement I'm about to make. There's a God-sized hole in your heart. God-shaped hole in your heart. But there actually is. You, ha- you are missing something. You are empty. You are a vessel filled with nothing but darkness and death. You are missing out on life, an abundant life, good life, grace, comfort, peace. You're missing out on mercy and knowing a merciful God who loves you, who's, who can't get over you. He's thinking about you right now. That God who's here right now, who wants to be with you, you're missing out on that relationship. And He offers it to you, and He offers it to our friends and our peers and our schools, and you and I have to adopt the identity that says, I will go and preach the gospel to those people, and if I'm not preaching, I'm watering. I have to be part of getting the word out because souls will go on for eternity without knowing that God that I know and love and that loves me. How can we sit in our seats and not be moved by that? What are you doing? What is in your heart? If you're sitting there thinking, doesn't matter. Don't care. Would rather feel more like and I feel the same as you often. I get apathetic. I get calloused. I'm not coming for you personally. But God is. 
coming for you personally, and He wants to use you in the lives of your friends and your family members. Does that make sense? God's Word is meant to be preached to the lost. Is that key there? Souls don't get saved and lives don't get changed without the Word of God being preached. So for our group... You know, I've alluded to this earlier, uh, what that looks like practically. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5-7, through 7, you know, Paul says, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? The Lord gives to every man a minister by which you can be saved. Matthew Basham is a dude I literally don't know at all anymore. I don't know him, but he led me to Christ. And no matter where he's at in life, no matter what he thinks, what he believes, I don't know, he could be living in the world. I'd give him a hug. And I'd say thank you. And I'd drive by his parents' house in Raytown pretty often, and i think about him. And he's nothing special. But he is who God used to bring me along and walk me through how I can give my life to the Lord. Holly Grimwood, friend from high school, invited me to church. I think about her and I think, man, I know, I don't know where she's at in life. I don't know what's going on, but I know that I'm grateful to the Lord for using her to get me to the church. Would that be your testimony? Will you have people who said, man, they're nothing special. It's not about them. He says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Matthew Basham is nothing. Holly Grimwood is nothing. You and me are nothing. It's God that gives the increase. But won't we be a Paul or an Apollos? Won't we say, God, use me to plant. God, use me to water. Won't you? I'm not going back to Grandview every day. So if I can just personally plea, I need you. I need you to go to your school and to catch on fire and to not give a crap what else is going on except for souls hearing the word of God nothing matters nothing matters nothing matters like that join the swim team it's a lot of fun it's great run on the cross country team join your soccer team play baseball play basketball no one in here play bas- basketball Never mind. you don't play basketball now play basketball, play football, play whatever. Join that club. Join this group. And do it well. But if the thing that drives you to that isn't the love of God getting to those people, you're missing. Does that make sense? You're missing out and they're missing out. So we pray for open doors with the lost. And as God opens them, we preach the word, we water with the word, and we let God take care of the increase. And your last key here is this. We aim for obedience and we let God work out results. I am not holding anyone's feet to the fire to bring someone to the Lord here. I, 
doesn't like it doesn't matter who I don't care who gets somebody here or not I don't care who gets to lead someone to the Lord this year or not what I care most about regarding the identity of this group is that we obey obey simply trust and obey there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey you just obey God preach the word water be ready in season and out of season and God will take care of the fruit does that make sense? If you're given that opportunity, you take it. That's obedience. That's success. We're successful if you're obedient because God will give the increase. Does that make sense? There will be 10 or 15 more people in this group throughout the school year giving their life to Christ if we'll just say, okay, Lord, whatever. Yeah, let's do it. So in your small groups, what I'd like you to talk about, you'll break up into a group of four or five, and we're going to get ten minutes in of just talking about if you were given an open door, you got the questions there on your page. If you were given an open door, what would be the one thing to stop you from walking through it? I'm thinking things like, I wouldn't know if I should push or wait. How do I approach that situation? When do I just come right out and say, do you know Jesus? So tactically navigating that would be the one thing that I would say. Some of you don't even know the gospel. Some of you don't know the Lord. Some of you, maybe it's that you don't care. Some of you, whatever it is, I want you to just work through that. And then if you, if you get through all that and you still have time, there's a couple more questions for you to consider together. And then last, I do, I do want you to actually do this. If you... If you leave when you leave today, if you would write the names of people you're trusting, you're trusting the Lord um, to get hold of. So <clears throat> I put initials, I put pseudonyms. That means a fake name. You can do the same because I'm trusting that they show up, and I don't really want them to show up and see their name on a wall. That'd be a little weird. So don't put their actual name, or, or maybe put initials. Does that make sense? Amen? Makes sense? That's who we are. We preach the Word. Let's uh, break into small groups here in about seven minutes. All up. Oh, did you step on his foot? Yeah. I was like, wow, Ethan's got it. Okay. He was injured. Okay, seven minutes, and then we'll come back together. Okay, what's the you're in our group. Thank you.